Hello, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross, and this is podcast number 17 on October 9th, 2018. I'm here at the Local 10 WPLG Miami podcast studio with meteorologist Luke Doris. Another hurricane week. Season is not done. We know that now. And wow. this, uh, this may be a horrendous week here. We're going to talk about Hurricane Michael uh, coming up here in just a moment, where it stands today and, and what we think is going to happen tomorrow. In just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Chip Casper. He's the uh, meteorologist, meteorologist <laughs> easy for me to say, in charge at the local National Weather Service office in Key West. We'll talk about uh, Hurricane Michael and its effect uh, on the Lower Keys so far and, and going forward because in terms of South Florida, the Lower Keys would be the closest uh, piece of land to the track. But also, the Key West office has put out a, a really incredible new website about the history of hurricanes in the Florida Keys, and we're going to uh, talk about that. Hurricane Michael forecast to make landfall, of course, tomorrow, Wednesday, October 10th, uh, in the Florida Panhandle. So we're recording this on, as I said, Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. If you're listening at some point in the future, especially for information about the hurricane, be sure that you get the latest information by checking on local10.com or on your Max Tracker app or on the Local 10 Weather app, or be sure you get the local uh, information in the Florida Panhandle from your local uh, public officials or emergency managers or your local National Weather Service office. It's critical that you know exactly what's happening in your area. This podcast is sponsored by your neighbors at the Miccosukee Tribe. Rain or shine, win big. Visit Miccosukee.com and discover the winner in you. All right, Luke. Um, so Hurricane Michael has uh, exceeded our expectations so far although it looks like it's going to end up at the Gulf Coast, uh, maybe a category higher than originally projected, but still uh, in about the area forecast. So we have to say, taking everything into account, the forecast is more or less on track, unfortunately. That's been the trend with it, too, hasn't it? I mean, this storm was able to really organize in a spot where it shouldn't have been able to get as strong as it did. There was a lot of wind shear that should have been a normal storm, or a lot of storms would have been impacted greatly, would have been shredded by it, but it continued to strengthen. And now the shear is getting less, and the storm, every you know, it just it, it appears with uh, each new data that comes out that it's just looking stronger and stronger. So the forecasts have been on the high envelope of model guidance, and now that pushes it up into high-end Cat 3, possibly Cat 4. Yeah, this is uh, the kind of storm that we think there has to be more research to understand. That for some reason, some storms wind shear. In other words, wind that is unfavorable for development normally tends to get shrugged off to a significant degree. Other storms, the same amount of shear seems to have a huge effect on its ability to organize. And that's not a, a well-understood or maybe even not even partially understood yeah. uh, phenomenon. And we certainly saw that with this one. Good trough, bad trough, right? Well, it's not just that. Uh, because Yes, yes, I guess it is. Because we had this, this uh, dip in the jet stream, a trough, a small one, over the Gulf of Mexico that was imparting the shear on it when it first developed out of what's called the Central American Gyre, which is a general area of low pressure. And there was an area that was spinning up on the Pacific side of Central America, and then this one on the Atlantic side. 
and this this uh, area of uh, dip in the jet stream over the Gulf of Mexico was blowing right across it and right through it. And so the thinking was that that would slow development until that moved on by and it got into the Gulf of Mexico, and then the conditions would be more favorable. The thing is, it just steadily organized and um, increased in peak winds, even in the face of that uh, that shear, that, that upper-level uh, trough in the Gulf. So, again, this is another scenario where, I mean, the winds are grabbing the headline. Here we are talking Cat 3, Cat 4, but the, the surge with this is especially bad because the area that's going to be impacted, the right side, the Big Bend of Florida, the, the Florida Panhandle, this is an area that's especially vulnerable to surge. Isn't that correct? Yeah, so you have divided the Panhandle into two parts. Appalachicola sticks down in that point. It's yeah. right at the end of that point. To the right of that, it's like a catcher's mitt for storm surge. That's the Big Bend and the Nature Coast going down there on the kind of northeast Gulf of Mexico. That's extraordinarily vulnerable to storm surge there. It's just the coast catches any water flowing up that way, and, and the land is not high, and it just goes over the land. So that's where they're forecasting the uh, 10 to 12 feet of storm surge. That's water above normally dry land. Now, on the left side of Apalachicola, it's still very vulnerable to storm surge. It's not just spectacularly vulnerable to any uh, kind of push of water. So they still have forecasts in the six-foot range in the Panama City area. Um, and uh, storms that have come in there in the past have just bashed the buildings that sit right at the beach and undermine foundations, and they've actually had buildings collapse. And, uh, you know, we can hope that modern buildings are built better than those that were built in 75 when Eloise came through, which was the last storm, 1975, really kind of comparable to this for Panama City. And then you, back in 95, uh, Opal came in, but that was farther west, but still, that undermined buildings uh, built right along the coast. Uh, apartment buildings and condominium buildings uh, actually collapsed because the storm surge came in and eroded around the foundations. They didn't have foundations like we have here in South Florida where you can't just build buildings on the sand. You really have to build them down to bedrock. Mm. And if the sand gets washed away, the building still stands. But that was not the case then. Uh, and we can hope that is much more the case now. And one other thing is it, it doesn't just stop at the coast. I mean, they're probably going to experience uh, Tallahassee is under a massive threat with this as well, or at least a large threat. No, I think Tallahassee is probably, uh, well, certainly under a threat of the worst hurricane in modern history. I think you have to go back to the 19th century for a Tallahassee hurricane that would be somewhat comparable to this. The big hurricanes in Tallahassee were um, her her mine uh, th- two years ago. Yeah. Uh, but that was not a big hurricane, but I mean that was a power outage for a week in Tallahassee, which was a big deal. But then back uh, Kate in 1985, which was a huge power outage and trees down, and uh, it was it was bad. And this it just depends on exactly where it tracks and where that corridor of strongest winds is. But they have to be ready in Tallahassee for something significantly worse than Kate. And Kate was really bad. Is it safe to say that this this storm has potential to be the worst panhandle storm in recent memory? Has potential to be the worst panhandle storm in modern times, for sure. So if it's the, the 
worst storm in modern times, it's the worst storm ever because the thing is that this is a high growth area here. The the number of people that have moved to the coast, there are whole towns that were not there when Eloise came through in in 1975. All along the Emerald Coast, it's called, uh, from uh, Seaside over to Miramar Beach and Holton Beach. The, this is a whole strip of very expensive property. Now, generally, just looking at it to your eye, it looks well built. But how well built is it? Uh, I think it's odds. Odds are we're going to find out with mm-hmm. this storm. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in Chip Casper, the meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service in Key West. Uh, Chip, welcome to the podcast. Yes. Hi, Brian. Hi, Luke. Thank you. Good to have you here. And and uh, tell us about uh, the lower keys and the outer bands of Michael that uh, have come through there already and, and what you're anticipating as Michael begins to pull north in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, sure. You know, today has actually been uh, fairly quiet in terms of, uh, you know, rainfall and squalls across the lower keys as uh, Michael's circulation has tightened up and it's strengthened some. You know, it looks like a lot of the uh, nasty weather has kind of uh, been relegated west of us, you know, out by the dry Tortugas and in areas of the open Gulf of Mexico. Yesterday, we did have uh, quite a rainy day, and anywhere from a half inch to an inch and a half uh, of rain on average throughout the lower and middle keys and local areas of two to four inches. We did have a a pretty vigorous squall come through late in the afternoon between 4 and 5 p.m., where we actually gusted over 50 miles an hour. In, uh, in a couple locations, the airport in Key West, also right here on top of our uh, weather building. And Luke and I were just talking about this a few minutes ago. Because Michael has essentially intensified and consolidated, that's really helped out your, your weather in the lower keys and, and on the peninsula, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. We tend to see some sinking air, and that kind of creates some fair weather, you know, on the periphery of these systems when they're intensifying like that. Talk about what uh, what you guys do or imagine yourself in the National Weather Service office in Tallahassee today and, and what's happening in terms of how you guys would be communicating uh, with local officials or coordinating with the Hurricane Center or talking to FEMA. How, how does that system work? Yeah, they are very, very busy today, I'm sure. Um, you know, we had an impact from Hurricane Irma just last September, and so I remember quite well what we were going through in the days and hours leading up to that impact. So everything you just mentioned, Brian, and more, you know, from coordinating with our colleagues at the National Hurricane Center on the actual forecast and the impacts, um, as well as our core partners in government and emergency management and water resource management. Um, There's a lot of uh, communication, uh, webinars, phone calls, in-person briefings. And then on top of that, you know, you have people concerned about uh, their their homes and their families and, you know, what, what kind of impact they may have personally. But at the end of the day, they have to go to work and, and execute the mission of the National Weather Service, which is the protection of life and property. I want to say a couple things. One is uh, if you don't follow the National Weather Service Key West uh, Twitter account, it's great. <laughs> uh, you guys put out some just fantastic sunset pictures. I mean, I, I love all the information you put out, but just pretty pictures of paradise. I just love the Keys, and I love Key West. So do yourself a favor, follow that account, and also 
you guys there tend to uh, produce more. Some weather service offices give you a kind of brush over and what we call the forecast discussion. It's a technical discussion of what's going on with the atmosphere. Uh, those the, the Key West office is good about giving you good detail. You can glean a lot from it. So I just wanted to say kudos uh, for that. And, and a question with you about that. Is there a policy with forecast discussions uh, across different uh, weather service offices or is it kind of up to you guys to decide how detailed you want to get? You know, I think there's a little bit of both. We do have certainly uh, directives and guidance nationally for, you know, for each office in terms of the key pieces of information uh, that our customers and partners want in those discussions. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, you have individual forecasters running shifts and the weather, you know, varies from location to location and certainly uh, from situation to situation. So, you know, there is some latitude there for folks to provide you know, the information that they think is most relevant to to their service area on a particular forecast ship. Chip, are you having uh, any people in the lower keys or in the keys express concern about the hurricane uh, as it heads toward the panhandle? Like with their, their kids at Florida State uh, or FAMU, do you, do you uh, hear from people about things like that? Uh, yes, we certainly do. Even this morning, um, you know, we some a forecaster here had spoken to a friend of theirs whose parents were living or are living in the panhandle and they were expressing reservations about evacuating and they happened to be in an evacuation zone. So we were just sort of encouraging them to follow the advice of their local emergency managers and if they were in an evacuation zone and please evacuate. It's in their best interest for life safety. So yeah, we, we do get that. Um, you know, Florida is a big state and there's a lot of people moving around. So yes. So, Chip, you created this just incredible website. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. Uh, tell us, you know, how you profiled these different historic hurricanes that have hit the Keys. You know, where did you get this idea? And uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of history about the project and the storms. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, this this whole story map, as we call it, was the brainchild of uh, our forecaster and 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 uh, GIS expert uh, meteorologist Melody Lovin, and uh, she had this idea going back probably around a year, you know, we tend to get a lot of requests for this type of information, you know, from our customers and partners and the media and and a variety of folks. So, you know, Melody had this idea and we kind of formed a team with some other uh, meteorologists on station here, Dave Ross, Adam Futterman, Sandy Delgado, Bryce Tyner. And uh, they put together a team and they basically, um, you know, used input from our partners, from our staff and from the vast, uh, sort of historical resources we have not only locally but across NOAA and then they incrementally uh, picked the top 15 uh, worst hurricanes in Florida Keys history in terms of impacts especially you know and then proceeded to put together this website which is available on uh, weather.gov key and um, right at the top you can click on on, on the website and, and you can kind of it'll take you to this story map and you can tab across and we have you know through history, you know, even going back to the 1622 Atocha hurricane all the way to Hurricane Irma last year in 2017, you can pick a tab and you'll get a nice narrative describing the storm, a track to show you on a map where it where it went and what the path was, and even some pictures of the impacts. Chip, the worst hurricane in Key West, I have always said, was the 19 or the 19, the 1846 hurricane, 1846 
hurricane that went over Key West. It, it, it uh, demolished Savannah and then came up and went over Key West. Do you agree with that? Or uh, what would you say was the worst hurricane for Key West you know, if it were to happen again today? I totally agree with that, Brian. Um, I've said it many times myself. If you look at the data, if you look at the uh, just the history, uh, it's clear that the 1846 hurricane uh, is the worst that, that we have on record in the in the community of Key West. Now, of course, you know, elsewhere in the Keys, the story is different. You have the Labor Day hurricane in the Upper Keys, Hurricane Donna in the Middle Keys, Andrew all the way up, you know, in Ocean Reef and, and Homestead, obviously, as you well aware of and but but for the community of key west itself the benchmark is the 1846 storm and really you really haven't had a direct a direct hit in the community of key west itself a direct hit by a major hurricane really since that time we really can't find evidence of a of, of a direct hit by a major hurricane in the community of Key West, and that, that's that's pretty amazing. So talk about what happened that we know of that happened in 1846 when that storm came in from the south. As a matter of fact, it happened in this week in October in 1846. That's right. Uh, on Actually, October 10th, tomorrow is the, the anniversary, and, um, and they call it uh, the Great Havana Hurricane because it went right over western Cuba and, and really devastated uh, Havana province. And we know... You know, there were some uh, reliable sea level pressure recordings, and, and the lowest was uh, 938 millibars, 27.7 inches of mercury in, in the Havana area. And so we know that was a, a very intense hurricane. Probably we're talking like a Category 4 or 5. Um, you know, we're not sure. We weren't flying aircraft. We didn't have satellites or radar. But, but this was a very intense hurricane, and uh, it it may have even intensified as it got over the Straits of Florida, and and it probably came, if not near Key West, just just west of Key West. And um, basically, of the 600 houses in in Old Town at the time, all but eight were severely damaged. We know this from eyewitness reports. Stephen Mallory, the customs uh, agent at the time, and and you know, and other information, and and basically the the community was devastated. And this is Old Town, which is actually the highest part of the island the eastern two-thirds of the island which are lower elevation were not really inhabited at that time but we but we know this is a uh, a devastating storm in, in in key west and also western cuba yeah if you go to the website and read you'll you'll see some just uh, terrifying stories of people uh getting away from the storm surge which was 18 feet and clinging to bushes in a cat four or cat five hurricane to try to survive just uh, you got to go check this out so chip uh if we're talking the top five keys hurricanes we're talking about all the keys 1935 has to be up there right is that number one in all of the keys as a whole not just key west you know it, it, you make a, a You'd have to make a great case for the Labor Day storm um, of 1935 being a number one uh, simply because of, you know, not only its intensity. I mean, you're talking about uh, a Category 5 hurricane, one of only three that has made landfall in the United States and the most intense of those three. And then also when you look at the impact on, on not only the infrastructure but the loss of life as well, um, you know, yeah, yeah, you could really make a case for that being the worst you know, of all time, or at least in modern history. And the pressure reading from that storm, the 892 millibars, was actually uh, fairly authoritative, right, that we have confidence 
that that reading was, is a real reading. And as a matter of fact, I think it's the lowest reading uh, in the world on land for any hurricane. So it would be hard not to rank that number one. Yes, our understanding is that, uh, you know, the instrument that recorded that uh, low pressure reading of, I think it was 892 millibars, was, was uh, you know, tested and calibrated. And they, I think they sent it to Washington, D.C. and back. And, and yes, there is high confidence in that reading. There's so many interesting stories associated with the three hurricanes that came kind uh, of back to back in the first decade of the 20th century, the 1906, 1909, and 1910 storms, because Henry Flagler was building the Overseas Railroad at the time, and those storms really impacted that project. Talk about them and how they were different. Yeah, you know, Flagler couldn't catch a break there. Um, that, you know, that was his dream to extend the Florida East Coast Railway all the way to Key West and, uh, you know, become sort of this uh, uh, major economic force with trade to the Caribbean and, and, and elsewhere. But, uh, you know, I think his project started, I want to say, in around 1904 and wasn't actually complete until, I believe, 1912. Right. And um, there's a great picture of Henry Flagler sitting on the, the dock there in Key West in 1912 with this very satisfied look on his face as a very old man in his 80s. Yeah, you know, and the, I think the 1906 hurricane was particularly uh, devastating, uh, a lot of loss of life. I, I want to say it was over 100 of his uh, workers uh, died because they had lived on these sort of makeshift uh, houseboats. And um, and one of those houseboats uh, tore loose from the mooring and ended up sinking, and uh, I think it was about 100, 135 people perished in uh, in that 1906 hurricane, where the core really, you know, kind of went right over the middle and upper Florida Keys. Um, you know, also an early October hurricane, uh, and then right. 1909 had a similar track, but uh, it had more of an impact actually in the lower Keys. The core again. Moving northeast, another October storm, you know, and uh, but I think uh, the community of Key West had a significant wind event from that uh, uh, from that uh, 1909 storm. Then you look at the 1910 storm. This one's always fascinated me because the storm surge in Key West itself from this 1910 storm was actually greater than the storm surge observed in Hurricane Wilma in 2005 which is significant, you know, anywhere from five to eight feet. And also this storm made a sort of a slow loop north of the western tip of Cuba, uh, attained Category 4 intensity, and then again kind of took a, a sort of a Wilma-like track and made landfall near Cape Coral on the southwest Florida coast. So there was, uh, I think, almost three days of sustained gale force winds, if you can imagine that. Yeah. In, in Key West, I think they or in Cuba. I mean, I think they call that the five-day hurricane, don't they? Isn't that the yeah. the, the because it was just off of Cuba and made that uh, loop out there? What have we done? Who have we <laughs> angered? So you know, one of my most uh, what I'm fascinated with are these old ancient hurricanes that we hear stories about. And the oldest one on your website that affected the Keys is the 1622 hurricane. It sank a treasure ship. Maybe you can tell us about it. Was it the Atocha? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, so maybe you can tell me about what that is. I know the Keys folks know it. And how much do we know about the track and strength of a storm from so long ago? Yeah, you know, with, back in. 1622, yeah, it is the Atocha. Um, 
that uh, we really don't know much other than it, you know, it, it was in September, um, moved across the Straits in uh, September 5th and 6th, and then caused this shipwreck, which actually became famous because the treasure hunter, Mel Fisher, uh, had searched for it for for years and finally found the mother load in 1985, I think on July 20th, 1985. And so, of course, now he has a museum down here and and you can learn all about the, that particular ship and its treasures. But, um, but you know, other than that, there's really not much you can say. We don't have any specific measurements. You're, you're talking 1622 now. So, but, um, but yeah, the Atocha was one of 28 ships in the, uh, in the Spanish fleet, um, and six apparently were sunk in that particular hurricane in 16, September 1622. In 1622, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously there was no, there were no, uh, European settlements in uh, in Florida at that time. What, who was on Key West, or were there people on Key West, and do we know that? Yes, um, we we do know there were were uh, uh, natives, you know, North American natives in in the Florida Keys. Um, not many, but um, and then you know the next folks to arrive were the Spanish, um, you know, and I know there was some interaction between the Keys and and Cuba, and you know, in the settlements in Cuba, um, but then I think you had to really go fast forward a lot later in terms of permanent settlements. In fact, Key West itself was not settled until uh, eighteen, I believe it was eighteen twenty-one. Right, that's what I was going to say, eighteen twenty-one. So, so let's talk about the more modern hurricanes, and you know, the sixties is more modern for me. Uh, notably, Hurricane Donna and and Hurricane Betsy, and both caused. A lot of damage in the keys, and if I remember uh, right, both you know, kind of broke the keys in terms of the overseas highway in about six places, and uh, significantly damaged the infrastructure, the power, the water. Uh, it, it was a big, uh, big, big issue. Although at that time, I think the the power for Key West was generated in Key West, uh, was it not? But uh, in any case, talk about those '60s hurricanes and and how they affected the Keys, and uh, how the infrastructure structure has or has not changed since then, if they were to happen again. Yeah, we'll start with Hurricane Donna, which um, occurred actually uh, September 10th, made landfall September 10th, 1960, which was 57 years to the day uh, prior to Hurricane Irma's landfall last year. Uh, and it just goes to show you the prevalence of these major storms and the threat that exists in the month of September and October in South Florida. And September 10th, <laughs> the peak of yeah. the hurricane season. Yes, <laughs> that's right. But uh, so Donna was a you know a Category Four uh, intense storm and made landfall in the eastern Middle Keys. There had a big impact, uh, basically from you know uh, Marathon all the way up to probably Tavernier and. It actually broke the uh, aqueduct, so the fresh water coming to the Keys. We, we don't really have any freshwater wells anymore in the Florida Keys. And some folks have cisterns on their properties, but the main source of fresh water comes from the Biscayne Aquifer up in Miami-Dade County, and it's basically piped down all the way down to Key West. You know, and they do have some reserve wells along the way, but uh, in the 1960 Donna, Hurricane Donna, 
that aqueduct was was severed in at least two or three places. And also, there were a couple of the lower bridges, um, you know, between I think mile marker seventy and eighty, that were that were basically either completely washed away or they, you know, they were damaged to a degree where there was no access. And my understanding was it take it took at least a couple months for them to actually repair that, repair those bridges and and the aqueduct. Yeah, and then in Betsy in '65. Uh, some of that happened again. In, yeah, term, in know, terms that, of the bridges being, you know, I remember there was not access to parts of the Keys uh, after Betsy came through, uh, just after Labor Day in 1965. Yeah, Be- Betsy was uh, an interesting hurricane. Also, again, a September storm it had kind of an unusual track because it sort of uh, was moving northwestward east of the Bahamas. And most most of those storms, you know, once they get to the latitude of South Florida, east of the Bahamas, um, there are notable exceptions. Andrew, obviously, in 92. But, you know, a lot of those storms kind of are on their way to either threatening the Carolinas or or moving out to sea. But Betsy apparently stalled and then was sort of uh, resumed a a southwestward track with a building ridge and then moved directly west right across the Upper Keys and then started intensifying over the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, it was really the benchmark for storm surge, you know, in the modern era uh, for the Keys. And so, you know, when Wilma came in 2005, really the worst storm surge uh, prior to that that people remembered was, you know, was from Betsy in in 65. And then, of course, it went on to affect uh, Louisiana and, and New Orleans. Much more recently, we had Hurricane Wilma. This is pretty bad in Key West, uh, the flooding especially. In fact, if you go back to the website, you look at the pictures, you'll see a lot of widespread flooding. So is is flooding an, under, an underappreciated threat uh, with the hurricanes as they come through? I would say so. You know, as you both know, uh, flooding is, is really the number one killer in hurricanes. Most people who die during hurricanes do so from drowning either from storm surge flooding or uh you know uh, river or freshwater flooding inland and wilma i i was i was here for wilma i remember it very very well and uh you know the the winds that we did reach hurricane force in the keys uh wilma was intensifying as it was moving northeastward and it was also accelerating and i think it was moving almost 25 miles per hour when it made landfall and near Cape Romano. But so, we, you know, we did have uh, sort of a Category 1-type hurricane wind event, which lasted for a few hours early in the morning on Monday, October 24th. But then the water started coming up, and really that was the big impact with Hurricane Wilma was, was the storm surge flooding. And the lower and middle keys had the worst of it, uh, but it really, the, 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 the damage extended all the way up and down the island chain. And, um, you know, it was a, it was... It was one of the more significant hurricanes, I think, of the last 30 years. If you look at it, you know, we, uh, you know, in some ways people are still recovering or were still recovering, uh, you know, when Irma hit last year. So it was it was a significant event. Yeah. In spite of the fact I I was on television talking about that and talking about the storm surge threat in the lower keys in 2005. But in spite of that, I think a lot of people in Key West were surprised by the Wilma flooding and the water kept coming and kept coming and kept coming after it seemed like the storm had passed them by. Is that your sense? I think so. Yes. Um, 
yeah, it was interesting because the, the storm was accelerating and really the water, the main water level rise occurred after the winds had started to subside and the day, you know, the sun had risen. And I think people were initially thinking, okay, we've dodged a bullet here, but all of a sudden, well, no, you know, that it took that whole day really for the waters to come up and down. So, Chip, uh, last year, obviously, the Keys were seriously threatened with Hurricane Irma. Do you think the net-net in the Keys from Irma is that people are more likely to leave if a big storm is coming or less likely to leave? And is it different in Key West than it is in the the rest of the Keys in terms of the thinking? Do you have a sense of that? I know you've been in the Keys a long time. Yeah, it's it's complex, Brian. I think, um, you know, I after that hurricane, and, and again, that was a little over one year ago, so we, we actually still have people recovering from that storm it's um there's a lot a lot of people have suffered because of it and 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 you know the recovery is ongoing even though on the face of it i think uh it it you know it, it, lo- it looks nice and there's you know you no longer kind of see obvious effects of it uh, people are still dealing with insurance companies and things like that so it's it, it's been an, a source of stress um you know regarding the evacuation question we again we always encourage you know, our partners and customers to follow the advice of the uh, Monroe County Emergency Management. They really, they study this problem. They have the experience. They have your safety uh, in mind. And, you know, and again, with the Keys being a very vulnerable, low-lying uh, island chain of communities, I mean, storm surge is really our biggest threat to life. So, you know, with Irma, I think you saw both sides. And, you know, I, I attended outreach events, the seafood festivals in the months following uh, Irma, and um, you know, I'd have people who lived on Big Pine come up to me and say, "Man, I, I stayed, and it was it was one of the biggest mistakes of my life. I would never do it again. It was it was harrowing. It, you know, I that was a mistake. I'll never do it again." And then I'd hear from somebody else that lived on, let's say, Big Pine or Ramrod that had evacuated, you know, and they said, "Well, man, that was." You know that was just really stressful, and and I'll never do that again. I'm 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 going to come back. It took me too long to get back, and and everything like that. So, you know, if you were here and and you saw what happened, I think it was really uh, a very educational, uh, emotional experience, and 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 you know people get people got it. Um, Monroe County Emergency Management has has started a program where they're actually training folks. Um, as uh, community emergency responders so that they can actually get back to the island chain quicker um, to help with recovery. And I think that, that the education and involvement is going to go a long way for helping uh, folks you know, do the right thing when, when threatened. The name of the website is the 15 worst hurricanes to hit the Florida Keys, and you know they. You look at that. You you look at hurricane tracks that we do know that we can go back and you know since we've been keeping records. It seems like the Keys get hit an awful lot. Is there any place else that is comparable to the sheer volume of hurricane strikes as the Florida Keys, or the Florida Keys as far as the Atlantic Basin goes, pretty much up there toward the top? Yeah, I, I know. Every 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 now and then, you'll see a new climatological study, and uh, and we're always toward the top. I know there's parts of the Gulf Coast with high frequency uh, landfall rates, and uh, and also parts of the uh, coastal Carolinas as well. Yeah, I'm talking about in the Atlantic Basin here. 
but I know we're we're usually at the top or you know very near the top. Sure seems that way. Do you think uh, folks in the Keys appreciate the hurricane history? I mean, this is a fantastic thing that you've done. And and by the way, I want you to give the website address one more time. But it's really a great thing that that you did because uh, you can't look at that without saying, "Wow, this is a hurricane prone place." But my sense has always been that uh, folks in the Keys, even though they're aware that hurricanes can happen there, might not appreciate how many really significant ones there have been. Yeah, I think education uh, education is a big part of what we do, what, what we all do as, as meteorologists involved in, you know, in, in hazardous weather awareness uh, and education. And, you know, in the Florida Keys, uh, you do tend to have some turnover, uh, where folks kind of move move in and out over the years, so you know there's always a, a supply of new residents that I kind of that you you know that you really need to help uh, educate in terms of okay, you know what are the threats, um, you know what are the, what are the threats to life and property here? Um, every area has theirs. It could be tornadoes in the Midwest or earthquakes in California. For South Florida, even though we consider this paradise, there is a price to that paradise, and and that's the hurricane threat. So, you know, education is something that's year-round. You know, it's, there's always there's always more to do. And even with the big hurricane impact, like Irma last year, you know, um, it, it, you still, you still, it starts over again. So it's something we're always going to be doing, I think. All right. What's the, the website? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chip. What's your web address? Yeah, the, the website for the top, uh, for the 15 worst hurricanes in Florida Keys history, weather.gov slash K-E-Y, weather.gov slash key. All right, and that's actually the website for your office there, right? Yeah, yeah, just go there. You look at up at the top. We have a long uh, – It's the link is too long to stay over the phone here. But, <laughs> but just look for uh, Worst Hurricanes in the Florida Keys History, and you can click on it right at the top of the website. All right. All right, Chip, uh, one more question for you. Was there a weather event in, in your life that got you into meteorology? Uh, yes, 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 there was. It was uh, Hurricane Alicia. In uh, 1983, um, I'm from the Midwest originally, but we, uh, when I was young, uh, we would try to drive somewhere around the country during the summer on a on a family vacation. And in 1983, uh, my parents picked Texas, and uh, we went down there. And I actually was on Padre Island when Alicia formed, and the original path was toward Corpus Christi. So my dad got in the station wagon and brought everybody. Said we're going to Houston so we can miss the storm. Wow. Well, I ended up in Texas City in a, in a hotel and stayed up the whole night watching it, and my life was never the same after that. <laughs> I guess not. It was uh, it was exciting, yeah, because that that uh, surprised them, and then really surprised them when when the cla- glass uh, panes in the high rise buildings in downtown Houston started filling the streets below. It, the the uh, video of that is really something. All right, Chip Casper, the meteorologist in charge at the Key West National Weather Service office. Uh, congratulations to you and your team there for that uh, fantastic website, and thanks very much for being here on the podcast. Yes, yeah, thank you for having me, Brian. All right, talk to you soon. Take care, Chip. So, yeah, the Florida Keys are really something special, um, and it's but as long as I've been in South Florida, which has been a long time, you know, we've always had in our mind, boy, what would happen if one of these great hurricanes again came along in the modern Florida Keys, given the fact that the population is orders of magnitude bigger than it was when the 1935 hurricane came along or something. You know, where there were hundreds, there are thousands of people now. And 
we know that a lot of folks in Key West or in the Key West and the Keys in general uh, can be ornery, you know, and, sure. and can decide up nope, where we're staying. And uh, it's a scary thought. Yeah. And I would think, too, just, you know, if we get hit by a monster hurricane on the mainland, it's one thing. It's going to be hell for a while. But in the Keys, you're literally cut off. I mean, roads being washed out. Just it, it could just be you're really on your own for for at least a brief period until um, maybe the Coast Guard could get you supplies, something like that. It could just be terrible in the lower keys or middle keys or upper keys if anything like that were to hit today. Of course, it happened in Key West last year when Irma went by to the north. So it wasn't because of the damage of Irma in Key West so much, but it took out the infrastructure. So mm. there was no power, no water, and the cell phones were out. So that that vulnerability is really what makes the Keys special, like you say. But uh, I, I'm a little afraid the folks in Key West will look back on last year and say, boy, that was terrible, but we made it. So, yeah. so we're going to be okay. But the fact was that they got maybe a Category 1 hurricane in, in Key West just sort of barely. And uh, a direct hit from one of these historic storms would be a completely different thing. And you know what I keep going back to is you we've we've talked about – 35 a number of times and today we touched on the one from the 1800s 1846 is that it 1846 yeah Yeah, 1846 Mm. and you hear about the storm surge and how they have these little hills like this little patch is all that's above water everything else is your entire island save for a small little patch is below water that's terrifying yes especially since so much of key west the whole uh say, northern part, I'm saying up the Keys part, mm-hmm. uh, that's all landfill. You know, that wasn't inhabited back in the day, out there by the airport and up towards Stock Island in that direction. That's all low. So that wasn't there in 1846. People were living on the high ground. Mm-hmm. They weren't living on the low ground. So it, it is. It's a much more vulnerable place now than it was then because, uh, you know, we have so many more people there now, so they can't all live on the high ground. It's a, it's an amazing thing. The podcast is sponsored by your neighbors at the Miccosukee Tribe. Rain or shine, win big. Visit Miccosukee.com and discover the winner in you. That 1906 hurricane that uh, that we talked about, the 1906 Keys hurricane, is interesting because it was the second hurricane in 1906 to hit Miami. And actually, the June hurricane in 1906 estimated to have been a Cat 1, came right over downtown Miami. And then in October, this storm came along and hit the Keys and was devastating in the Keys because of the loss of life among the railroad workers that Henry Flagler had there building the railroad. And as Chip said, they started in 1904, and they had uh, had trouble housing people. Uh, it was a problem because there were, there were no towns there to house all these people required to build the railroad. So they took essentially barges, and they built on top of the barges bunkhouses. And that's where people lived. And then as they built the railroad, they could move the housing south with them. And it seemed like a really good idea until this Category 3 hurricane came along, and it broke the bunkhouses loose, and people were in there, and— uh, and we had this tremendous loss of life. Well, that hurricane, that October hurricane, also came over downtown Miami. And those were the first two of seven hurricanes in the 20th century to come over downtown Miami. And uh, that one was notable and quite damaging. It was 10 years after Miami was actually uh, 
chartered as a city in 1896, and it was number one and number two of seven that went through the first seven decades of the 20th century. So uh, that that 1906 hurricane has a very rich history. And and by the way, the story of, as Chip said, the story of the building of the railroad, which is an incredible story in and of itself, is really interlinked with these hurricanes, these three hurricanes that massively affected that project. And uh, the book, uh, there's a book called uh, The Last Train to Paradise, which is a fantastic book that, that uh, talks about what they did, how they changed the way they built the railroad to make it more hurricane-resistant as a result of the 1906 storm. As a matter of fact, they, they stopped building it for a year because of the 1906 hurricane. And then they learned more in 1909. And by 1910, when the hurricane was coming, they sank all their equipment so that, that it wouldn't get uh, smashed by storm surge. And then they they pulled it back up, dusted it off, and went about building the rest of the railroad in and the train actually rolled into Key West in 1912. It was wow. quite, quite a re- remarkable story and, and totally uh, interlinked with hurricanes. So this is uh, Hurricane Michael week. No doubt next week we'll be talking about this. Uh, I'm certainly hopeful that the folks in the panhandle, and I know that just looking at the, the news reports and the traffic leaving Panama City Beach, uh, they uh, it was jam-packed. Uh, uh, we hope that people don't get frustrated by that because... There's not that many roads out. The interstate doesn't go to Panama City, so you're not getting on the interstate right away. You know, you have to get to the interstate to get out of Panama City. And also in Tallahassee, they've set up the the Civic Center there as a a shelter for FSU students, for um, staff, for professors, and people that don't feel safe in their homes. Because the thing about Tallahassee is it's all trees. And the damage that's done in Tallahassee is done from the trees. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place with rolling hills and Spanish moss and huge trees with monstrous limbs full of Spanish moss. Well, it couldn't hardly be worse for strong winds. Uh, and uh, so I've been in my posts, uh, I've been talking about, you know, think about where you park your car. Park your car in the middle of a shopping center parking lot, for example, because it would be one thing to have a tree fall in your house. It would be another to have a tree fall in your house and not have access to your car. It's a different scale of personal disaster. Yeah. You know? And you had some other good tips that you put in your uh, write-ups here uh, this morning and last night as well about you know, fill up your bathtub and have a scoop so that you can flush your toilet when power's out and get you some water bags and fill them 80% full and get all the air out so that'll help keep your refrigerator cool. And uh, radio, we talk a lot about how you get your information and just a battery-powered transistor radio would be good. And uh, what about the students? You know, the, the students in Tallahassee, if they're in their dorm room or whatever, the, the high rise or whatever, um, uh, interior hallway, lowest floor? Interior hallway, lowest floor, or the, the Civic Center. Uh, you know, a good thing that's happened is the former Miami-Dade County emergency manager, who was, Kurt was here for six years, is now the emergency manager at Florida State University. So I guarantee that they have plans and they're executing the plans and they're informing people because uh, Kurt Summerhoff is a very experienced guy. And it's a, a real asset that they have them there. You also have students at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, too. So I haven't heard specifically about what, what provisions they're making for them. But uh, hopefully the university is being proactive about helping them because there are also students that are local 
in Tallahassee that live in the general area, so uh, that will be affected by the storm. So uh, if they get good information at school, they can pass that along to their parents. And and uh, it's not going to be. There's almost no way that this is going to not be terrible. If you look at um, Hermine a couple of years ago, the power was out for a week, and that was barely a Category One, kind of a tropical storm in Tallahassee. And this could be order of magnitude worse so or more. We just had Florence that was looking, you know, in the forecast to be Cap Four at landfall. It weakened right at the last point, uh, you know, right, right in the final hours. Do you see that at all happening here, um, or do, or do you think that this one maintains strength all the way up? Well, when when storms get near the Gulf Coast, they often weaken because the shelf water is cooler. This year, the shelf water is unusually warm. So you also end up with, if the storm is moving slowly, then part of the circulation gets over the land and you get frictional effects and you can pull in dry air from the north. If it's moving fast, reasonably fast, all that is less likely to happen. And unfortunately, this is going to be moving reasonably fast. Now, the, uh, that also means it'll pass by and the freshwater flooding probably won't be as bad and the tornado problem on the right side of wherever it comes ashore won't last as long but that also tends to make it stronger overland because it doesn't have that that interaction with the land time to draw in continental air for example from the north uh, into the core as quickly so uh, we can hope that happens uh, hurricanes in terms of their intensity there are a lot of factors that affect the intensity and some of them are very subtle including just the uh, timing they do eye well replacement cycles and so forth mm. so all we can say is there's no obvious reason why it should weaken but there are many reasons that it could weaken some and, uh, and we can hope that'll happen but you have to take action as if it's not going to happen for sure for sure Okay, one more reminder. The uh, podcast is sponsored by your uh, friends at the uh, Miccosukee Tribe. Rain or shine, win big. And visit Miccosukee.com. Check out uh, what they're doing uh, the, at Miccosukee.com. They have lots and lots of projects going on here in South Florida. So best of luck to our friends in, in the Panhandle and at uh, FSU, FAMU, and Tallahassee, Panama City, and along the Nature Coast and the Big Bend, some of the most beautiful uh, parts of the state of Florida actually up there, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what's all going to happen uh, tomorrow, and it's going to happen during the day. This is going to be a daytime uh, hurricane. So, Bad deal. So mm. uh, we're going to see. Uh, we'll see it live on television, I'm sure. If you've got uh, something you'd like us to address on the podcast, uh, write to us at weatherpod, all one word, weatherpod at wplg.com. For Luke Doris, I'm Brian Norcross here at the WPLG Local 10 Podcast Studio in Miami. That's our podcast for this week. We'll see you again here next week after Hurricane Michael. You all have a good week and keep yourself safe. <laughs>